The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their magnificence. And he said to him, All these I shall give to you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's uh, four days already since Ash Wednesday. I'd like to take a survey of how many have fudged a little bit on their promises, just a little bit in the four days since. It's a few hands going up. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's this temptation thing, of course, that gets to us, isn't it? It's so easy for us to talk ourselves into saying, well, you know, just a little bit, and it really doesn't matter, and I can slide, I can glide, I can ride, you know, I can reserve a little bit of, of um, stuff for myself and take care of myself first, and it won't hurt anybody. And, and that's how, of course, we begin to experience that, that reality of temptation, which eventually, of course, if we let it go, draws us into things that are much more serious. Temptation is the theme, obviously, of 
the gospel reading today of Jesus in the desert, as well as the first reading from Genesis of the first man and woman uh, facing down that temptation to eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And the two stories are really tied together by that temptation theme. Um, they're like a, two sides of one coin almost, or a diptych in a museum, two beautiful paintings of scripture stories side by side. They're stories which um, need each other in a way if we're to understand them. So beginning with that long, 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 long ago story, the story from Genesis of the first man and the first woman, you know, the picture is, is a pretty one to begin with. There they are in that beautiful garden that God has created for them. I think it was called Mar-a-Lago. No, that was, it was, it was Eden, 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 it's Eden, it's not Mar-a-Lago. And, and in the background is that tree, you know, the knowledge of good and evil. And in the foreground is that miserable serpent, you know, the tempter, the demon, the devil. That voice within them that says, you know, go ahead, you know, take a bite out of the fruit of that tree because it really won't hurt anybody. It's really okay. God really wasn't, you know, that serious about this. And what it's going to give you is, it's going to give you the knowledge of everything. It's going to give you wisdom. It's going to give you the ability to make your own decisions. It's going to give you the ability to, to judge things. It's going to give you the ability to know everything that there is to know. And, and when you know everything that there is to know, when you can decide for yourselves how you're going to live your lives, then of course, you know, the extension of that is you don't need God anymore. You're little gods yourselves now. You've made yourselves the center of your own universe. You're no longer creations, you're creators. Isn't it wonderful? Won't it be great to not have to listen to moral norms from outside of yourself? You can, you can decide those things on your own from the inside out. Yes, Adam and Eve, eat of that fruit, and you can be gods. Strive for divinity. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And we know, of course, that that slithery serpent, you know, hissing these lovely things to Adam and Eve's heart, wins the day. They bite. They take it, hook, line, and sinker. And it turns out to be a terrible, terrible trick. Because once they take that bite, once they decide that, yes, we're going to be gods ourselves, everything literally goes to hell. Within a generation, their children are killing each other. And that's the sad story of temptation in that first story from so long, 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 long ago. The other story from not so long ago it's the gospel story of Jesus in the desert. The picture that is painted is a little bit different, of course. In some ways, it's the same. 
Jesus has just been to the Jordan River in John. He's been baptized there. And he's heard the voice of God, his father, say to him, You are my beloved son. You are my beloved son. And Jesus has to try to figure out what this means. He has to get his head around this, this reality that's been revealed to him about himself. I am God's son, his beloved. So he goes out into the desert and spends a 40-day retreat out there. And, you know, the hard part about a 40-day retreat in the desert is not just the heat and not just the solitude and not just perhaps the hunger that one begins to experience. What's really hard about a 40-day retreat out in the desert is that the person out there has to examine their own life. They begin to experience in a deeper and deeper way you know, what's really going on inside them. And what Jesus experiences out there is both wonderful, I'm the Son of God, but also very, very, very painful. He begins to hear the voice of that tempter you know, speaking to him in the depths of his being. So, Jesus, you're the Son of God. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? You're hungry, man. You're the Son of God. You can turn these stones into bread, beautiful golden loaves that taste so good. Who's going to care? Who will even know? There's nobody around. Feed yourself. You don't have to be hungry because you are divine. And the tempter is very, very clever. He uses the words of Scripture, the very words of God to his people, to draw Jesus into the trap. And what's the trap? Ironically, it's the opposite of the trap that he set for Adam and Eve. Before, it was human beings striving to become divine. And now it's the divine one striving not to be fully human. The temptation is to reserve a little bit of that divine privilege for himself. And he doesn't have to go 100% into this humanity thing. He doesn't have to be hungry like we have to be hungry. We, we don't have that ability, that privilege of being able to turn stones into bread. We just have to be hungry. If we're out in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, we die. And the tempter is saying, but Jesus, not you. You don't have to suffer like they do. Because you're the son of God. How cool is that? Jesus' response is to say, no. If they're hungry, I'm going to be hungry with them. I'm not going to hold the privilege of my divinity as something that sets me apart from the people I've come to be with. Okay, very good, Jesus. Pass test one. Test two. It's almost the same. 
Let's stand up here on this high parapet of the temple, on this high wall. And again, using the words of Scripture, he says, look, you're the Son of God. Throw yourself off the wall. And your angels will come and you'll never even stub your toe. You can make a really stupid decision. And you don't have to suffer the consequences like they do. You know, if they throw themselves off the wall, if we throw ourselves off a wall, you know, we go crashing down and we get hurt. We die. But not for you, Jesus. Because you're the Son of God. You don't have to suffer like they suffer. You don't have to die like they die. You've got your angels, man, to protect you and to guide you. They don't have the same angels you've got. So again, the temptation is really the same one. To reserve divinity as a privilege for himself and to just maybe a little bit not have to live what we live. Obviously, Jesus says no. The third temptation that Jesus faces is a little bit different. The tempter by now has given up on the scripture thing. It's not working for him. So he tries a different angle. He gives Jesus a vision of all of the world, with all of its kingdoms and all of its people. And from that lofty vision, Jesus is able to see the joys of humanity as well as the sufferings. The justices and the injustices, the peace and the war, the families that are doing well and the families that are doing terrible, the people who are starving and the people who have too much to eat. He can see it all. It's displayed before him. And what does the tempter say to him? You, Jesus, are the Son of God. This can all be yours. This can all be yours. You can save these people right now. Just click your fingers and you got it. You, Jesus, you can, can make this happen fast. You can, you can subjugate the oppressors. You can end the wars. You can make bread for all these people and feed them. You can bring peace to this world, Jesus. That's your job, isn't it? You're the Son of God. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. Make yourself king. Put on your robes. Get your crown. Sit on your throne. Take things over. Welcome back, kids. <laughs> and what's the real temptation here? It's to not have to suffer with us. Fix everything now. Fix it right away. Save these people the fast and the easy and the convenient way because you're God. And Jesus knows already he's been out in this desert for 40 days. He knows that his real way to save these people is the long, hard way. It's going to be a slog. It's going to hurt. It's going to be achy. It's going to be painful. He's going to have to experience the injustice that we experience. He's going to have to die like we die. It's the way of weakness, the way without power. 
the way of forgiveness and compassion, which is not the way of kings and princes and rulers of the world. So Jesus' great temptation the third time around is to be divine and kingly and royal like the leaders of this world and to save the world immediately and forego walking with us, teaching us, leading us, forgiving us, dying with us, rising, of course, in the end. So we have two stories. And in a very real way, they're both our stories. We know well that the temptation of Adam and Eve to reach for divinity and to make themselves the center of the universe, to live without God and God's values, to make their own lives, to make their own way is one that we continue to live with today. It's a fracture in our humanity that continues to ache deeply and is the source of so much evil across the face of the earth. That's still us. But on the other side, it's a picture of hope. Because Jesus does not deny his humanity in favor of his divinity. But instead he shows us the long way of life. He shows us that we too can follow that way. That we too can forgive. That we too can make our sufferings meaningful. That we too can understand that death is not the last word. Because it's shown it to us in his own life. And so, we're offered two visions of ourselves, both of them real. Both as people who fail and sin, who make ourselves the center of the universe, who make ourselves little gods in our own imaginations. And a vision of ourself as forgiving, as compassionate, is merciful, as people who understand that even in our greatest sufferings and even in our death, God is 100% in with us. God walks with us. God cries with us. God hungers with us. God even dies with us so that we might rise. <laughs>